Welcome to the Dyad Presents, a video game music podcast. I'm the Dyad, and this is Dungeon Explorer. Before I get any further into the show, I wanted to say a uh, huge thank you to everyone who has been sending their well wishes and checking up on me and my family. Um, I was going to try and name everyone individually, but seriously, it was far too many people to list here. Just know that it was very much appreciated. I was really blown away by the community and um, it made me really proud to be a contributor to such a great corner of the internet. Despite an extremely stressful and at times harrowing ordeal, uh, we survived Irma pretty much unscathed. Um, Obviously, there were a great many more people who were not so fortunate. We evacuated at the time that it was looking pretty dire, and um, I'm happy to report that we sustained only the most minor damage, and more importantly, we're just fine, my um, wife and daughter and I, so... And hopefully with that little hiccup out of the way, we can get back to business as usual. Um, but one last time, seriously, thank you to everyone out there in internet land. It really, uh, it really meant a lot to us. As for the more typical top of the show business, I want to thank DeSmith1038 for the kind iTunes review. It's always nice to hear from people on the other end of the internet tubes. It's a happy motivator to keep churning these bad boys out. As for the track starting us off this week, I thought it had a nice triumphant return vibe to it. It feels pretty happy and at parts it's kind of like, I don't know, it reminds me of some 80s new wave or something. As for the game itself, it's a hack and slash action RPG released for the PC Engine slash TurboGrafx-16 in 1989. This track is called Town and the soundtrack was composed by Tsukasa Masuko. Um, I'll leave it up to your imagination to figure out where in the game this song occurs. According to Kurt Collada at Hardcore Gaming 101, Dungeon Explorer remains one of the hallmarks of the TurboGrafx-16 library. While the game is kind of a mishmash of contemporary releases of the era, Dungeon Explorer borrows most heavily from Gauntlet. The game focuses more on multiplayer action than on puzzle solving. Kurt also points out that action RPGs were rare in the 16-bit era. Um, He has a pretty good point. Aside from the standout Secret of Mana series, there really aren't too many offerings. Certainly not very popular ones. 
I guess if you like Gauntlet, this might be worth a visit, but from the screenshots and videos I checked out, the graphics are a bit harsh. I think it might be something to do with the way the backgrounds are drawn. There's something that makes it, I don't know, difficult to look at for me. Just maybe the patterns are kind of funky. I'm not sure. Anyway, I'm going to try and keep things moving at a brisk pace today. I got to get back into my fighting shape. The next track comes from the Super Famicom exclusive game Zico Soccer. Composed by Akira Takemoto, this track is called Locker Room. Soccer is a bit of an oddball game, and on top of that, it's really teed up a nice little tangent for me. So, a real welcome wagon for my return back to podcasting. The game is a soccer simulation game released in 1994. It was developed and published by Electronic Arts Victor, which is a joint venture between Electronic Arts and the Japanese game company Victor Entertainment. They acted as the Japan only branch of Electronic Arts. EA Victor published a handful of titles, but what caught my eye is that they're responsible for bringing Warcraft 2 and Diablo to Japan. Um, those are two of my absolute favorite games. That was like right at the, I don't know, the dawn of my PC gaming. Um, I'm really curious about the arrangement, but I'm leaving it live for now. Let's get back into the gameplay. Simulation is a little bit of a vague term. It can range from some kind of Madden clone all the way to text-only ASCII sports games. In the case of Zico Soccer, it's going to fall towards the burnt toast side of the crunchy gameplay spectrum. Rather than controlling the soccer players directly, you're essentially acting as a head coach directing the action from the sidelines. Uh, stepping up the kookiness a bit more, the game made use of the SNES mouse peripheral. You point and click your way around the pitch, dictating who to pass to and when to shoot. As for the eponymous Zico, he's a retired Brazilian professional soccer player. Born Arthur Antunes Coimbra, he's known better simply by the mononym Zico. A mononymous person is one who is known and addressed by only a single name, or mononym. There are a number of reasons why a individual might be known by only one name, and historically, in some societies, people were only given one. For example, the ancient Greeks. Historians often added on an additional descriptor to avoid confusion, but they only had one to start with. Um, so, like, Pliny the Elder is one example. But for other historical figures, there might just be no record of their full name. Historical records of a number of ancient societies are sparse, and complete names might have just been lost to time. 
After the medieval period, mononyms have been used primarily as nicknames, either adopted by themselves, can't give yourself a nickname, or by those around them. Generally speaking, there are a great deal of them in the arts or intellectual pursuits. Some notable examples throughout history are Voltaire, Rembrandt, Michelangelo, and it's also common with royalty, as in Akihito, Emperor of Japan. In the West, mononyms are mostly reserved for entertainers, um, and there's a ton. Elvis, Bono, Cher, Madonna, and because I'm going to work in 80s pro wrestling whenever I can, the Ultimate Warrior changed his name to simply Warrior in an effort to win a dispute with Vince McMahon in the WWF. I'll have to talk about that sometime. All that being said, it seems that Brazil in particular has a preference for mononymed footballers. Pele, Ronaldinho, Hulk, just to name a few. Anyway, let's move on to the next track. From the game Shadow of the Beast, composed by David Whitaker, for the TurboGrafx CD, this track is called Eerie Forests.
Shadow of the Beast was developed by Reflections and published by Psygnosis in 1989. The original version was released for the Amiga, but it was ported to a bunch of other systems. The game is a standard platform fare, but the graphics were highly touted. It featured up to 12 levels of parallax scrolling at one time. It also uses postage stamp sized video cutscenes, but I don't really know how well those were received. The soundtrack is also well remembered, David Whitaker's use of high quality samples being the standout. The game eventually saw two sequels, and in fact, there's a 2016 remake for the PlayStation 4. The remake includes a version of the original Amiga game as well. While the game is now regarded as a cult classic, the remake doesn't really seem to recapture that magic. And also, you punch giant bees in the face, which I thought was pretty funny. As for one last piece of trivia before moving on, graphics from Shadow of the Beast and its first sequel were featured in two special levels in the original Lemmings game, called a Beast of a Level and a Beast 2 of a Level, the Lemmings levels also used cameo versions of the title music from each version of the game. They were arranged in Lemmings by Tim Wright. Okay, so brace yourself, internet, because next I will commit sin against the Holy Church of Retro Games. I'm going to play a selection from the game Final Fantasy, but not as it appeared on the NES. No, no, I'll be playing from the superior MSX2 version. That's right, you heard me. I'm a blasphemer. But before you condemn me for my apostasy, take a listen first. Composed by Nobuo Uematsu, this is Prelude.
Developed by Square, the MSX version of Final Fantasy was published by Microcabin. The port came out in 1989, two years after the original Famicom release. It saw upgraded graphics and, more relevant to this show, expanded music. This track in particular may not do the best job of showcasing the additional instruments and all that, but it is probably my favorite from the MSX soundtrack, so that's what I went with. Um, I encourage you to give it a shot, though. It's pretty interesting to see what they did with a little bit more musical oomph. The first game was the only entry in the franchise to appear on the MSX. Beyond that, I couldn't really find out much information on the port. I'm just going to take for granted that everyone knows that Final Fantasy is one of the quintessential RPGs in gaming history. Uh, instead, I'm going to talk a little bit about Micro Cabin. Micro Cabin was a Japan-based game developer and publisher founded in 1982. They started out as the Oyachi Electric's Microcomputer Club and eventually grew into a full-fledged company. While Wikipedia calls them defunct as of 2008, according to Bloomberg, Microcabin operates as a subsidiary of Fields Corp as of January 2011. I'm not so sure though. Their website is down and the company's last release was in 2006. They're probably best known for developing the Zack series of games. Um, I've actually already played a track from that series in an earlier episode. The show number is escaping me, but you can go back and look it up on the blog if you want to narrow it down. They also have a few other recognizable titles under their belt, like Princess Maker 1 and 2. According to a press release from Fields Corp at the time of the acquisition, Microcabin is now focusing its business on the development of graphics software for pachinko machine LCD displays. Yeesh. That seems like a real video game developer graveyard. Uh, one last time, I just want to encourage everyone to at least check out the whole MSX soundtrack. I know it's just personal preference, but I really do like it better. Uh, please don't pitchfork me. Anyway, next we're going to return to the FM Towns. From a game called Nova, composed by Nakayama Yuki, credited in the game as Panda, this is track 7.
also known as Nova, Mirareta Shitai. Nova is yet another adult game visual novel to appear on a Japanese PC system. The game supposedly blends adult and horror themes. In short, the protagonist awakes in a cryogenic sleep chamber of a spaceship, unable to remember anything from his past and only vaguely recalling his name. Something strange is happening on board the ship, and it's possible that unknown creatures have found their way in. I guess this is another sexy investigations game. Hmm, maybe that's a t-shirt opportunity for The Diet Presents. And as usual with these adult visual novel games, that's all the information there really is out there. So I guess we have to move on. It's time for the first Game Boy track we've played in a while. This one comes from the game Breakthrough! Exclamation point. Composed by Paul Mogg and Joseph White, uh, and I'm pretty sure it was arranged for the Game Boy by David Warhol, this is the title theme. Breakthrough is a puzzle game originally released for Windows and MS-DOS in 1994. The game was developed by the Japanese Zoo Corporation and published by Spectrum Holobyte exclusively for North America. The game is marketed as the brainchild of Alexei Pajitnov, who also originally designed Tetris. The connection may have began because Breakthrough is published by Spectrum Holobyte, the company who first published Tetris outside the Soviet Union. But despite Pajitnov's name and face being on the game's title screen and box art, the PC version of the game says only that he endorses the game and that his only actual credits in the game are special thanks. I'll save talking about the whole Tetris debacle for another episode, especially since Alexei didn't actually have anything to do with this game. And I'm kind of looking forward to it, it's pretty interesting stuff. The game's original concept is heavily based on matching same colored squares, which presented difficulties for the pea soup color palette of the Game Boy. The squares in the port of the game have different patterns on them to distinguish between the different types. The Game Boy port was developed by Realtime Associates Seattle Division, a company founded in 1986 by David Warhol and a group of ex-Mattel Electronics employees. And that's going to bring us to the end of the episode. I know I was a little bit sparse on some of my notes, but, uh, you know, getting back in the swing of things. Um, also, apologies for this episode coming out a little bit late. Alan's been traveling, and obviously I had a lot of stuff going on, so I wasn't able to get the recording done as early as I would like. But 
thanks for giving it a listen and hopefully we'll go back to normal um i should have a little bit of extra time this weekend maybe i can crank out another episode get a buffer going i love my buffers anyway before i go as always special thanks to alan euler aka periodical for mixing and editing the show you can follow the show at the dyadpresents.blogspot.com where i post a track list for every show you can subscribe via uh we'll say almost any podcatcher that's probably a safe way of putting it don't forget to rate the show on itunes if you are so inclined again special thanks to dust smith 1038 you can follow me on Twitter at The Dyad. Uh, if you have already started following me, you were able to uh, kind of ride along with my live tweeting evacuation of Florida. You can email me at thediadpresents at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook. There's a page and a group. And uh, yeah, that's it. It's only been, what, 30 episodes almost and still don't know exactly when I'm done talking. Yeah, well, get used to that, I guess. Until next time, from the game Stormlord for the Commodore 64, composed by Jero and Tell, this is the loader music. Thank <laughs> you.